And sometimes they get to be in a position to watch that happen behind the scenes. And so I, I'm just encouraged and thankful that you all are a generous people and that when a need arises and we have a chance to minister to someone, you all step up and do that in a great way. And so this is fun from that perspective. But uh, on a second thing is it just the idea of that growing and us doing more and more to be generous like God has been generous to us um, is always an encouraging thought to my heart. And so uh, this has been a fun series for me from that perspective. And so we have called this Generosity Speaks. We have said that if you hang around with generous people, you are going to hear certain things said or ideas communicated as to why they are generous. The first one was this. They will think, you know what, because I am blessed, because I am grateful for what God has done to me and for me through Christ and in every other way, it is the least I can do. And so you hear people say, you know what, it's, it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't need praise for it. It's the least I can do to be generous in helping some other people because God has helped me. Last week, we looked at the idea that another thing that generous people do when they think is they have these stories that uh, God used the little things I had and I released them to him and he did something, he blessed somebody, he, he helped somebody, he fed somebody, he helped somebody hear about Jesus. And in the thing that they think is, look what God did. I released some of what I had and look what God did and I love that. And so that leads us today to our third um, idea, third and last idea that we're going to think about here this morning. And it's an idea that I, I think is is best done for those of you who are older in the room. Now, that doesn't mean the rest of us are excluded from this, but I think this is the, a sermon that if you have some experience, if you have some history of walking with Christ, of living out generosity in your life, and especially if you're near the end, whenever that may be, if you're near the end, you have these, this, this thought in your mind. And, and I want to introduce it to you. There's an old Milky Way commercial from a couple of years ago that says it so well. I want you to look at this. This is a Milky Way commercial from a couple of years ago. Go ahead and play that if you would. So. Sorry, I was eating a Milky Way. There you go. So it's, it's people who live out generosity. They look back on their life and they have no regrets or no regrets, whichever way you want to say it, right? You get to the end of your life and you look at all the things that God did for you at the beginning and through. And again, it's the least I can do. You live your life from a perspective of look what God did. And because of those kinds of things, you get to the end and you look back and it's not, there's no regrets. Um, now, if you give away money, if you try to help people, sometimes there are those moments when you get burns. That happens to all of us. It happened to the Lord. He was quite generous with his creation, and he got burned pretty badly uh, through it. But it didn't stop him from being kind and generous and gracious. And so there are times in our life when we try to help people, or you may have had a bad experience from time to time. But the overall theme of a generous person's life is, yes, there are moments that maybe didn't go like I hoped, but I still have no regrets because the vast majority of, of the good that is done is done because God is using generous people to do it. And so here's the phrase I want you to think about with me. It was all worth it. It was worth everything I released, everything I gave away, every chance I gave. It was all worth it. Last week, we used this little chart to help us kind of visualize what generosity looks like if we're going to be intentional about it. We talked about the things that, that what I choose to give away this living on less. We talked about that gap that's created. 
I just want you to think, I sit down this week and, and did some math, and I'm not very good at math, so I don't do it very often, uh, but I did some math, and I thought, you know what, let's just take a random number and say if you averaged that out, and the gap that you created was just, just a tithe, just gave away 10% of your income from the age of 20 to the age of 65, most of us are working years, and if you just did that over and over for those 45 years, and if you averaged an income of just $35,000, and you gave away 10% of it over 45 years, years, do you know how much money you will have given away over the course of a lifetime? It's scary to think about it. $157,500. It's like, whoo, that makes me sweat to think about that. That's a lot of money. But guess what much money you will have left in that blue circle, just for random? $1.47 million, okay? So in perspective, I think that's kind of scary too. It's like, man, who would have ever thought someone like us could manage that much money over the course of a time? Maybe you make more. Maybe you make $50,000 and you do that same math, 10% of that over 45 years, $225,000 or $75,000 in income. You're giving away $337,000 and you can just, the rest of the sermon, just do the math, okay? If you're a millionaire, just do the math on that, okay? That's a fun thing. And part of that, depending on how you look at that, that either makes you breathe a little deeper or shallower. It's like, oh man, that's, I'm a little nervous now. That's a lot of money. Think what I could do. I could do a lot with that kind of money, but a generous person doesn't look at it that way. To a generous person, it is never, oh, it's an expense that I could have done so much other things with. I regret that. A generous person tends to live from the perspective, I have no regrets. That's the best money I ever spent in my life because I gave it away to the Lord. I gave it away to help people. I gave it away to evangelize the world. I gave it away to help people find education. I gave it away to help people find food and clothing and shelter and hope and life. And, and I gave it away. And that's the best money I spent. I have no regrets over that. No regrets whatsoever. Okay. And so where do we go with that? Okay. What do we do with that? Well, Jesus described the life of following after him. And this applies to certainly more than just generosity. He described the life that, that we live for him and with him as sometimes challenging, right? He used the phrase, if you're going to follow me, you must daily take up your cross, right? That implies some difficulty. That implies that there's going to be moments that it isn't fun, and if you have walked with Christ very long, you know that that's true. There are going to be moments where people reject you because they don't like this whole Jesus thing in your life. There are going to be times when you get uninvited or you get overlooked or you get ignored or you become the butt of the jokes or worse uh, things may happen to you if you look around the world and, and see some of the terrible things that happen because they follow Christ. And so there is a cost to following after Jesus. But a generous person, a Christ-loving person, tends to focus on something else besides the cost. And I love what 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says when it tells us this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding, and I love that word, abounding. That's not just stingy talk. That's generosity, right? Abounding. Be generous in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, what? It is not in vain. In other words, you're not going to get to the end of your life and say, that was a waste of my life. That was a waste of my time. That was a waste of my money. That was a waste of my efforts. It's not going to be in vain. 
And so I love the way that Paul could have just said, you know what, follow after Christ, be faithful. But he attaches that last phrase because I think we need to hear that. Because you and I, we get discouraged. We go through things that are hard. We go through things that maybe tear us down. And you think, I don't know if I want to go on with this journey. And yet Paul reminds us, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So I want to encourage you today with that hope. Um, I love what the Babylon Bee says. Sometimes we think we're having it hard, but the Babylon Bee is a satire site, and I love this little headline they had this week. Man who was wished happy holidays knows exactly what the persecuted church in China is going through. Again, that's satire, and, and I love their perspective because they tend to remind me of, you know what, it's usually not as bad in life as I think it is. But I love, again, what 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight reminds us of, that it's not in vain. And so Paul promises us in the end... If not right now, in the end, it will be worth it. And so what is that anchored to? What is that tied to that for a person who gives their life away to Christ in service, in generosity, in love, in evangelism, whatever it may be, whatever you're giving your life to Christ in, what is that anchored to? Is it just an empty, I hope it turns out okay at the end, or is there something that anchors our life that is significant? And the story we want to read today, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to see a, a, a story that you know the first part of this, but I, it's the second part that I really want to drive home. Because I love what Mike uh, Faberez said in a sermon I listened to this week when he said this simple phrase is really, I want you to think about this phrase as we read our text. He says, keep your eye on the prize or you will stay focused on the cost. Right? We've all been there, right? You're asked to do some hard thing and you, have, you forget that there's something really cool at the end of this. If I stick with this diet or if I stick with this budget or if I stick with this discipline, there's something good on the other end. There's a prize there for me in my life, but I got to pay a cost daily to get there. And so whichever you're focused on is going to determine how you live your life. If I'm focused on the prize, I'm going to be more determined and disciplined to say, I can stick with this. It's hard for a time because they're prized at the end. But if I forget that, if I take my eyes off of that, it's when we become weak. It's when we become, uh, we compromise and we think, you know what? The prize isn't really worth it. I'm just going to go with whatever feels good today. And we don't live into the prize at the end as much as we would like. And so that statement is the heart of a generous person who says it's, it's, it's all worth it. I have no regrets because I'm focused on the prize and the cost. Is, that's minimal compared to the prize that awaits me. So what is the prize? That's what Matthew 19 tells us. The rich young ruler is, is, the, is the first figure that we meet in an interaction with Jesus. And it says this in Matthew 19, 16. The text begins with a question that this man has. He says, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Which is a good question, right? Jesus talked a lot about eternal life and, and having life in him. And, and so this man comes asking, I think, an honest question to say, Jesus, what, what do I need to do to inherit this life that you keep talking about? And that takes Jesus to begin to ask him some questions. And Jesus begins to probe into his heart and into his life, not to just tell him an answer, but to help him discover an answer for himself. And he says this in verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And so Jesus makes him stop and think, well, why are you asking me this question? He's trying to get him to think about, well, who is Jesus? Because this is a God question. And, and why am I asking Jesus this question? He's trying to get him to make a connection there. And then he tells him, you know what? If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, go back to your Old Testament, read all those laws, read the heart of what God wanted you to do and to be in the Old Testament and keep those. 
And the guy says this in verse 18. He kind of outlines it for him. Jesus helps him. You shall not murder. Don't commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he outlines some of the examples of what he's talking about to help him. And so then in verse 20, the young man answers confidently, all of these I have kept, okay? So the man is quite confident about his own ability to do right and to be good, okay? He's quite confident of his resume. So he asks, well, maybe there's more. What am I still lacking? And so Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect or if you would be complete is another way of looking at that word. If you want to really go the extra mile, if you want to be where God really wants you to be, then go, and here's where it gets hard. He tells him to sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And so he gives him an interesting little command. Again, the man is feeling very good about himself at this point. His resume looks very good from his perspective. He's very confident that he can check about any box. Jesus says, hey, what about this commandment? Done it. How about this one? Never done that. How about this one? I'm doing fine, Lord. Check, check, check. I'm checking off your list of things. And then Jesus goes to the core heart issue of this man. And it was his love and his trust in his wealth instead of trusting in God. And so he goes and, and he, he challenges him on this area where he knows his heart is so attached and his security is so based in and his love is so tied to his wealth and what he has. And so he says, go and sell everything you have and, and then give it away. Go help somebody else. Create a, a huge gap in your life, right? I want you to just go and go from this to this. I want you to create a huge gap and, and then I want you to go and, and come follow me. But there's a little phrase in the middle of that that I think that is important. Did you notice what Jesus said? Go and give it away, help the poor with it, and then you're going to have what? What did he say? You'll have a treasure in heaven. Again, that whole cost versus prize analogy, right? Jesus says, you know what? There's a cost right now, but if you do this, there's something really cool at the end. You're going to have something that can never be taken away from you at the end. And so he's trying to get him to look at, at cost, and all he can see right now is, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to let go of everything, Jesus. That's too much. The cost is too high. And he's not looking at the prize, at the reward, at what is there at the end that Jesus is offering him. And so he wrestles with this. And ultimately, he chooses or lands on the idea that this is just too high of a price for me, Jesus. And the verse, next verse says in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful or he went away sad for he had great possessions. He had a lot, and he felt like, Jesus, I just can't let go of all that. And so he walks away. He walks away sad, all right? And so we watch this story, and, and if you put yourself in his shoes, if Jesus was to come up to one of you and I and say, regardless whether you have little or lot, if you say, hey, I want you to just go get all your stuff together, just go give it all away. And all of us would wrestle with that, right? That's a very insecure place to, to be. That's a scary thing to do. And so he walks away sad, and I'm sure he had come into that conversation feeling very hopeful, very confident. He was a good law-keeping man. He seemed to have a good reputation. He was well-established. In a lot of ways, he was very blessed. And, and, and the disciples are sitting around watching this, hearing this. And so Jesus is not one to waste a teachable moment. And so he turns to his disciples as the young man is walking away with his head dejected. And Jesus says this to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
See, this young man seemed to be winning at life. He was blessed in so many ways. He had it going on, it seemed. And if, as the disciples looked at this young man, this is the ideal member of any church, right? He is good. He is moral. He is wealthy. He seems to have it all act going on. And again, the disciples are thinking, this is what we want, right, Jesus? This guy could fund us for a long, long time and help us. And, and yet that's not Jesus' concern. And so they are blown away by Jesus' response and his words. And so then they wondered, which I think was the whole point of what Jesus was trying to get them to, to a place of. The disciples were astounded in verse 25. Then who in the world can be saved? All right, if a good law-keeping man like that can't be saved, then what hope? do the rest of us have? Remember, if you're a student who was not the, always the A student, some of you were, but I was never that person. The person who is depending upon the grade curve versus the person who is setting the curve, right? You ever have that person? I remember in college, um, one of my good friends was just, he was always, if you were taking a test, you always wanted his study notes because he wrote uh, dissertations on essay questions for tests and, and you knew everything if you just studied his stuff. And imagine uh, we go to a class and, and my A++ student is all of a sudden the teacher says, you know what, you're, 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 a, you're a failing student. And it's for all of us leeches who are down here below depending upon him. And, and it was, he just not only blew the curve, there is no curve because we're all failing. And, and they're just frustrating. Like, what in the world do we do with this Jesus? If, if he can't get in, if he's not eligible, what do the rest of us have to lean upon? And so Jesus then looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And so the passage could end right there. And a lot of times we do stop right there. But what I really want to focus on here in these last couple of minutes is just what goes on following that. Because Peter, ever the one to inject a question into a situation, whether, and I'd love to know the tone in which he asked this question, because is he being obnoxious? Is he being boastful? Is he just being inquisitive? I don't know. But he asked this question in verse 27. Peter answered him, well, Jesus, we left everything. You told that guy to go do it. We did it. We have already done that. I left my fishing business. Matthew left a very lucrative tax business. We left everything, home, family, everything to follow you, Jesus. So where does that leave us? In, he's, again, he's asking the cost versus the prize, right? Is it worth it to follow you, Jesus, if, if that guy can't make it in? And, and where, where does that leave us? What then will, will there be for us? And Jesus answers them in verse 28. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, which as I looked at this passage this week, um, this probably needs to be a sermon series in and of itself, right? This, when Jesus says the renewal of all things, you read your Bible and you find terms like there will someday be a new heaven and a new earth where uh, the old way of things, the old way of sin, the old way of brokenness, the old way of, of selfishness and disease and sickness and death, all of those things are wiped away and a new heaven and a new earth. A renewed heaven, a renewed earth that is not completely unlike what you and I see, just cleansed of sin and made new again, is there. And so Jesus says when that happens, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, which is an, uh, a picture of all of God's people and so imagine this, what Peter's answer is. Okay, Peter, you left everything. You apostles, you 12 guys who are the foundation of the, of the church and everything I'm doing, I'm going to sit on one cool throne 
and there are these 12 thrones. You guys left everything? I appreciate that. And so there are these 12 thrones. You're going to help me judge and rule. This, is a, a not, this isn't a Judge Judy kind of judging where I sit and make people uncomfortable. This is a old Israelite leading God's people kind of judge role. And so he says, you're going to sit on these thrones and, and you're going to help me. So that's pretty cool. You think, well, that, that, that's for them. But then Jesus doesn't just stop with his 12 disciples. He goes on and he expands the conversation. He says, and everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields. And he just continues on through all the things that sometimes when you follow Jesus, it can be costly. Some of you, because you follow Jesus, have lost things. You've had to pay a price for your faith in Christ and to, to be obedient to Christ. And it's cost you. And sometimes you think, does that matter? Will that matter to God someday? And I love this verse as a guy who, my family appreciated this verse. My sister decided to, to be a missionary and, and left the country. And, and that was a verse that we kind of clung to, clung to in, the, in the sadness and the grief of, of losing her um, in, in that way. But everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And so Jesus gets us focused on this idea of cost versus reward. And again, we, we go through this and sometimes we're uncomfortable with this whole reward thing. I go back to my silly little Babylon Bee article about uh, we're uncomfortable when someone says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, and we make a big deal about that here. But again, people all around the world, China, other places, they're getting arrested. They have awful things happening to them just because they're trying to gather and worship just like we are. And so sometimes we think, well, God, when we get to heaven, I wonder what the reward system is. Maybe somebody used the analogy of maybe it's just like a penitentiary and you all walk in the gates to give you your orange outfit and, and you get your little cell down the road and, and that's heaven. Everybody's equal. Everybody gets the same thing. I don't think that's, that's biblical because throughout Jesus continues this kind of talk of, of reward of those who have given much, sacrificed much, who have left much. There is a reward that he will replace that with. Sometimes in this life, God can, can put you in families if you had to leave family or lost family or lost friendships because of your faith or lost uh, income or lost things. God can certainly do that in this life. But his, in, his um, take there is much more on the life that is to come. And so he goes through all of this and, and he wants you to stop and realize, you know what, a life spent in giving your life away in taking up your cross, denying yourself and living faithfully for Christ, there is a cost to that. And sometimes it hurts to lose a house, to lose a family member, not by death, but because they reject you because you're one of those Jesus people. And I don't want anything to do with those Jesus people. And so maybe you lose that, or maybe you lose the opportunity to be promoted, or, or maybe you get uninvited by some, into some group that used to matter to you. And that can be painful. And Jesus acknowledges that, because there is a cost. But for everybody who pays the cross, pays the cost, pays the price in this life. He is watching and there is this reward system. And this, again, this is a sermon in and of itself that I probably need to do because I, I, this is a fascinating subject to me, um, at least to me, maybe not to you, but to me it is. I, I, it's as he watches and he says, you know what? It will be worth it. I will make your sacrifice worth it in the end. And so don't be afraid to risk it all. Don't be afraid um, to, to pay a price. Don't be afraid to be obedient if it costs you something. 
because I'll make it okay. And so when we think about this, um, I want to go to this last verse of our text. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 19, verse 30. Uh, He finishes the speech with, after this promise of I'll make it all okay, the many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So what does that mean? What's that have to do with this passage? And it really comes down to this idea that if you were to ask who's first in Jesus' story we've just read, who looks like they're in first place? It's the rich young ruler guy. It looks like he's got it all going on. By the world standards, he's at the front of the pack. He's rich, he's young, seems to be well-to-do, got a great reputation, got all kinds of things going for him. But where does he end up? He ends up last. Versus those who seem to have given so much. Uh, Eventually, all these disciples, all of them except one, are going to be martyred for their faith. They preach Jesus and people don't like it. All of them are eventually going to be martyred. John doesn't get martyred, but he gets persecuted like crazy. And people who, by the world's definition of things, say, you know what, that's the least. You know, nobody wants to be the persecuted person in the world. And yet, those who have been persecuted for Christ, in the big scheme of things, when God's rewards come out, they get bumped to the front. And those who have had it easy, those who have had it comfortable, um, may not be that way in the end. And so, you have one line on your sermon outline sheet this week, and some of you, it's driving you crazy, and I have to have that filled in. So here you go. You can relax now, okay? Here's what I want you to write down. I think if we're going to be generous and grow in this, we have to define the win. We have to simply define the win. Is winning in your life temporary uh, success, temporary wealth, uh, a temporary reputation, temporary possessions that, that are good for now, and you can put your whole life into them? And that's what many in the world do. Many of us get caught up in that. We wear ourselves out to get rich. And maybe the win is, I'm here now. I've got a short time to live. I want as much as I can get. I want to do as much as I can get. And I give little thought to the life that is to come. And so I don't do as much good. I'm not as generous. I'm not as kind. I'm not as helpful. Because all of those costs hurt my definition of what a win is. But if I redefine win as a win is... I give away a lot right now. I'm generous. I share. I help people. If I can do without something, I'm okay with that. Because the win is eternal treasure, is the stuff that Jesus gives me at the end that more than compensates. Not only do I get that kind of thing, but I get eternal life with him. And that's the win. And so I'll hold my stuff more loosely, right? 2 Peter chapter 3 is a beautiful passage. It simply just reminds us that everything in this world is destined for fire, it's all going to burn. And I don't know if I'm sure you have been like me, just watching with great sadness the things that have happened in California with those forest fires and just watching entire neighborhoods leveled, burned to the ground. And again, I, I hate that. I hurt for them. And, and that's a terrible place to be, um, to see everything that you have gone. Um, but someday, that's, if Second Peter 3 is right, and I think it is, everything not just them, it's us. Everything that you have that's tangible burns, it's gone, it disappears. And what do I have left when it's all gone? For those that Jesus says, who, hey, you cost you here now, you paid some prices here now, you, you gave away now, but I got treasure, eternal treasure for you, eternal life to be lived. There's this really cool reward for that. And there's hope at the end of that. And so I love what, I'll finish with this. I love what one person said, that if your car... If you knew on Thursday of this week that a meteor was going to strike your car and completely destroy it, no matter where you parked it, put it in the garage, your garage goes to you, okay? A meteor is going to strike your car this Thursday, no matter what. 
Would that change the way you manage that car this week? If, if I needed to borrow your car Wednesday, you say, yeah, keep it. You just keep it. I don't need it anymore. It's, it's destined for destruction anyway. You just take it. Let, it, let, it, let the meteor hit your house, not my house, okay? Make sure you don't park it in the garage, okay? And keep the kids away on Thursday. If, if I know it's all destined for destruction in the end, I'm going to hold it more loosely. And that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples. So that's why he wanted to see this rich young ruler to see that there is a better prize. There is something richer and better than this temporary stuff that sometimes we get so tightly attached to. And so define the win. I love what Jim Elliott said. You've heard this before. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let's pray with me, please.